loss of his dad this week. We need to keep Brandon and his family in our prayers, but I know we have many others we need to pray for. So y'all let me know who we need to put on our list. The Walker family from Iuka. They do. Who else we got? All right, this is all we got. If y'all will bow with me, we'll say us a prayer and get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we get to come together tonight and open up your word and study it and learn from it, God. But tonight we know there's many that need your help. We especially lift up these names and ask that you comfort and help these people as only you can. God, please be with Brandon and Rebecca and Ava and Layla and Jude this week with the loss of Brandon's dad. Please comfort that family. Please be with Harold Eaton as he recovers. God, please be with Macy Walker and her mom and that whole family as they recover from that terrible automobile accident. Please help put that family back together. And God, we just ask that you continue to bless us here at the Boonville Church of Christ. Help us grow, help us help others, help us be everything you created us to be. We love you and we thank you for all the many, many blessings you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're going to continue our study in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Our central theme tonight, now there's going to be a lot of minor points or different lessons we can take from what we talk about but remember we're we're the main theme is we as christians must project the image of god or the image of christ to the world in everything that we do that means in every situation we find ourselves we need to ask ourselves the following questions or, or, or some form of the following questions. We need to think, what, what is it that Jesus would do in this situation? Why would Jesus take this particular action or inaction to this situation? How would Jesus execute the necessary behavior to respond correctly to a given situation? And then, of course, ultimately, am I acting in accordance to God's will? Because that should be our goal in everything it is that we do. Uh, The best way for us to model our behavior accordingly is to immerse ourselves in God's word. And that's what we're doing in the Gospels tonight. Uh, We're going to look at a situation that Jesus found himself in. It was a very tough situation. 
We're going to look at how Jesus handled it. And we're going to look at the ways he handled it and see if we can apply some of those virtues to our lives. So the main theme of tonight's lesson is going to be when troubled, take a minute. Uh, when Jonathan sent me that title and the text, and that's what I got from him, I thought, now how in the world am I going to make this out of that? But y'all know Jonathan's got a big old brain. So I had to read the passage three or four times and it hit me which way I needed to go. And I'm not saying he would have went in this direction, but it makes sense to me. Uh, our text tonight you'll find in the book of Matthew chapter 14, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there. And a lot of you have sat in my classes the last 15 years, so what I'm about to say you may have heard me say a dozen or more times. But life has taught me that this principle is usually true. And that is the statement that the world is full of fair weather fans. Y'all ever heard that statement before? <clears throat> well, when you break that down, it pretty much means this. As most of us can project the capability to be good when life is easy. When everything is going our way, 17 game win streak, something like that, life's pretty good. It's when tough times come that we're truly separated. It's in the tough times that you separate the real from the phony. Now, back when I coached, there was a term I used for my fair weather players. I called them my Mantachi crew. Now that is no disrespect to Mantachi school. It's a great school, wonderful school. Love the people that work there, know a lot of them. But 25 years ago when I was in high school, they had an 89 game losing streak in basketball. It was state record, pretty sure it still is. And my point was to those players I was coaching is I would tell them, I know you can score 20 points and look like a superstar against the terrible teams. That's not hard. But I need to know what you can do when we're playing a tough opponent and things get hard. How do you react then? I think our Father in Heaven has the same expectations for His children. He expects us, his church, when we confront hardship, to behave and think differently than people that don't know him. Do y'all think that's a fair statement? <clears throat> when we're confronted with hard times, we're expected to behave with sound judgment and reason. Because the reality is this, and y'all know it, Christians and non-Christians alike are going to deal with pain, they're going to deal with sickness, turmoil, loss, all on this side of eternity. But we should see a noticeable difference in how we as Christians respond to life's trials. And I was thinking on this point this afternoon, and I'm not going to call any of you out, and embarrass you, 
But there are people in this room right now that are my heroes that have went through such heartache that I can't imagine overcoming it. But they're here and they have and they've dealt with loss and they've dealt with heartbreak in a way that is so admirable because they know we have a hope in heaven. This is just part of it. Non-Christians don't have that hope. But like I said, at no point in God's word does he tell us we're immune to pain of this world. You know, there's a book in the Old Testament that tells us the complete opposite, right? We see, I think, 42 chapters of a man who's close to God that goes through everything a man can go through. What's that book? In the book of Job. So when someone tells you, well, you're a Christian, your life should be easy. Are they speaking from the Bible? No. Okay, so we've cleared that up. So let's look in Matthew. Um, and I think when we look at chapter 14, we're going to read verses 6 through 23. We're going to see that God expects some things from us when we see tough times. He expects us to spend some time alone before we rush into decisions and rash judgments. He expects us to be tough. Jesus is going to show us how to be tough in our text tonight. Now, I'm not sure the world would define Jesus's actions as tough, but I don't know any other way to put what he does in what we're about to read here. Jesus is about to receive some very bad news. And we're going to watch how he responds to the people around him. Jesus was great at dealing with the world as he found it, not as how he wanted it to be. And there's a lesson in that for us. But beginning in uh, chapter 14, I'm going to read verses 6 through 23 of Matthew. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy, buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. 
But he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they looked and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was alone there. All right, we're going to break this uh, passage down, but I'm going to need your help. Uh, I want you guys to really participate as I ask a lot of questions here. Uh, <clears throat> what was Jesus's first reaction when he heard the news of his cousin John's beheading? All right, where'd you find that, listen? Chapter 14. I'm sure he was sorrowful. If we look, let's look back at verse 13. Well, look at verse 12 first. It says, His disciples came, took, the, took away the body, buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus received the information, we see there in verse 13, he heard it. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So his first reaction was to do what? Get along. Why do you think that is? He wanted to talk to God. He wanted to pray. But I agree with what Luther said as well. Don't you think he was sorrowful? Yeah. And we know there's only, even when Jesus is praying in the garden, he doesn't want what's about to happen to him to happen. But what does he say at the end of that prayer? Not, not my will, but yours be done. When he sees John is actually beheaded, don't you know that's a gut punch? But do we see a documented rant here about Herod and his kingdom? We don't. He didn't do a Facebook post on Herod and how unjust he was. Why? It was out of his hands. <laughs> it was... And we know Jesus at any time could have called angels and changed the whole scheme of things. We know that that's different than us. But we spend so much of our time griping about things out of our control. We've got to stop wasting that energy. There, there is a good lesson in that to us. Jesus didn't waste one word about what happened to John. He was sorrowful. He wanted to talk to God about it. He was sad. 
But he went to pray. He went to think. He went to process it. But then we see there in verse 14, what happens? Someone read verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. So he wanted to get away, wanted to spend some time in prayer, but as soon as he gets where he's going, there is thousands of people. Now, would this have been a good opportunity for Jesus to say, look, guys, appreciate y'all coming. My cousin just lost his head. I can't deal with you today. I don't want to. Was that his response? He was moved with compassion for them and he healed the sick. We spend a lot of time in today's world, and I'm not saying it is unjustified, but we are very good at making a lot of excuses for reasons we shouldn't help someone. Well, they're just going to go buy drugs. Well, they're, they're a fraud. They're a, and all that may be very well true. But God is the one that makes those judgments. Here's some steps we can take to follow Jesus' example. All right, let's go over these quickly. What should we do when we receive tough news? What should we do? Go to God. And preferably in a quiet place where we're not distracted. Spend time in God's word because we have that. And time on our knees praying to God. All right, what was Jesus' response when he saw a group of people that needed help? That's a great point. Miss Marilyn just said that way better than I did. Yeah, he is definitely grieving, and they could, and the people could be grieving. John was a popular figure, no doubt about it. Uh, and we're going to get to that in Herod in a moment, how he, it says he regretted it instantly. But Miss Marilyn, say that again. He said, like, when you die, you're gone and you're okay. You're done what you're supposed to do. John had fulfilled his purpose. And there's nothing I need to do with John at this point. Me, what I have to give them. And so what he did is he did good. Jesus did good. I need some help right here. I need five volunteers. And these are quick verses. But the Bible, God's word, it expects us to do good. I need readers. Someone take 2 Thessalonians 3, 13. Who's got that? Raise your hand if you'll take it. Thank you, JT. Someone take Romans 2, verse 7. Thank you, Jerry. Someone take 1 Peter 2, 15. Thank you, Brother Jim. Someone take 1 Peter 3, 17. 1 Peter 3, 17. Thank you. And someone take Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. 
Last one. Thank you, Terry. All right. Read 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Whoever had it. Be ye ready. Be ye ready. Be, be not weary and well do. All right. Romans 2.7. Those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immorality eternal life. 1 Peter 2.15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. First Peter 3.17 It is better if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil Galatians 6.9 6, 6, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. All right, that's just a quick snapshot of different verses in the New Testament. I think it's safe to say God expects his people to do good. Okay, but, but, what if you're tired and hungry? Are we supposed to do good then? My little blonde girl, little Lottie, she's a kind soul. And she, she just see it. She's just a good, kind kid. But you let that kid get tired or hungry, turns into a little animal. It's awful. Are we supposed to do good when we're tired and hungry? Go back to Matthew 14 for me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes so they all ate and were filled and they took up to 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children Jesus had got off the boat with compassion. He had healed the sick. Many would say at that point he had done enough. But did he have the ability to do more? He did. It was in his ability to feed these hungry people. And it was also in the will of God for him to do so. So he did. All right, so how many, how many men did it say was there, Luther? 5,000. Uh, All right, and, and we know from church attendance today, more women come than men. So I think you could say we're well over 10,000 people. Probably. <clears throat> Do you think in that 10,000 plus people, there were any uh, frauds or low lifes that benefited from Jesus' charity? Of course there were. Well, what did Jesus say about that? 
He just fed We don't see a long Facebook post about that either, do we? Of course, people took advantage of his generosity and took advantage of his kindness, just like they do ours on a daily basis. Jesus fed them anyway. Uh, <clears throat> the devil would love nothing more than for us to stop helping people because they might be taking advantage of us. <clears throat> Jesus was very thoughtful and prudent and measured his actions and his words. We don't see an example in God's word where Jesus put his foot in his mouth, do we? I don't think we do. I know we don't. Uh, godly folks, we've got to do the same. We've got to be very slow to criticize our fellow man who was created in what image? A Christian's got to remember the power of our words. You know, a great example of this, and I know the, the habit of our time today is just label somebody with a nickname if we disagree with them and move on. Uh, someone flipped to the book of Jude. It only has one chapter. The book of Jude. Read verses 5 through 10. Who will take that? I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward restored them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he had deserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Solomon and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a ready accusation, but said, The Lord rebukes thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Alright. I wanted to read that because you would think if we're free to criticize anyone as Christians, it'd be the devil, right? And we, we know the devil is evil. I'm not saying he's not. But Michael the archangel refused to do what? God take care of you. Michael knew who was on his side. The same person that's on Michael's side is on our side. And my point of saying all that is I think, and I'm talking to me, anytime I prepare a lesson, I waste a lot of breath a week defending things that don't have to be defended and arguing arguments that don't have to be argued. We know God has our back because we are his people. And uh, we don't need to get in those senseless arguments. Uh, we need that same mindset in the crazy world we live in now. Um, now, an example of putting your foot in your mouth, y'all go back to Matthew chapter 14. 
verses 6 and 7. When Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. I think it's in the book of James, but is that where the Bible tells us to let our yes be yes and our no be no? Is that correct? But here Herod promises with an oath. And what does she ask for? It says the king was sorry there in verse 9. He had uh, spoken when he shouldn't have spoke. He did not use the same strategy Jesus uses. There was no wisdom involved there, was there, Luther? He, he didn't spend time in prayer and thinking and uh, meditating on God's word. He thought he was king and could say whatever he needed to say. And now he's having to deal with the consequences of what he's done. <clears throat> you know, I think the, we're all guilty of doing what Herod has done. We'll speak when we shouldn't speak. And when you're in a crowd, it can definitely happen. But what we have to remember as God's people, that we belong to God. And as we look in the book of Job, I think in chapter 42, someone flip to Job chapter 42 and read verses 1 through 6. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and no thought can be withholding from thee. Who is he that has the counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare of thee to thou to me. I have heard of thee by thy hearing of the ear, and now my eyes see of thee. Job had went through all he had went through, and he understands at the end, obviously God is in control. For us to get into God's will, we've got to study God's word and obey God's plan. But once we do that, and the point of this be still and wait a minute in troubled times is we see so many examples throughout the New Testament of Jesus' life where he went alone to pray. If Jesus is the Son of God and he felt the need to get alone and pray often, how much more do we need to do the same? I don't do it enough. I need to do it more. It should be something, and I'm sure a lot of you do, but it has to be, it just has to be a part of who we are. And uh, we have to do it multiple times a day in every opportunity we get to get on our knees and pray to the Lord. Uh, if y'all will bow with me, I'll close this with a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much that you, again, have allowed us to open up your word and study 
the life of Jesus. God, we just pray that we live our lives in accordance to your will, that we walk in a way that's pleasing to you, that we talk in a way that's pleasing to you, that we control the things that we can control and that we trust you and have faith in you and serve you in all that we do. God, we love you. And we are, again, so thankful for the blessings that you're just pouring into this church right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.